Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. Just survey your people, just survey your workforce and ask them what they want. If you are a C-level or senior people leader, I can most likely say with confidence that you don't know all the challenge your frontline staff are facing every day when it comes to their experiences. It's just impossible to know how each and every single person feels inside a large organization. So ask them, survey them. Feedback is a gift. Ask them directly what's working and what's not working, what they'd like to see more of. And then we as the fintech in the payment space, we just have to do something about it. You need to action the feedback. That was Tara Wilson, the COO and Chief Diversity Officer at Zoom Rails. And she is my special guest this week on episode 215 as we continue Diversity and Inclusion Month. Tara is a self-proclaimed, proud, and positive disruptor that lives by the motto, if you know better, do better. And she's had more than 20 years of experience in the fintech space, paving the way for the much-needed disruption of gender bias along the way. ZoomRails offers a seamless, off-the-shelf product to combine open banking with payments, creating an easier way for businesses to manage the full cycle of the transaction. As for the diversity and inclusion aspect, I talked to Tara about how to build it into the company DNA. Some of the main strategies she talks about include defining core values, establishing a mission and vision, leadership training, and executing all of this from the top down through open, honest, and consistent communication. Tara talks about her journey to the role of COO and Chief Diversity Officer, including what it felt like to be one of the only female executives in the room and the lucky to be here versus deserve to be here mentality that has motivated her passion for DE&I. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Tara. Welcome to this special series of the Leaders in Payments podcast about diversity and inclusion. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Great. Well, first, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Sure. I grew up in Ontario, Canada, in a city that's on the Otonabee River. It's about 79, 80 miles northeast of Toronto. And I spent the first half of my life in Peterborough. It's a hockey town and completed my degree there actually in telecommunications as well. I moved to Montreal, Quebec in 2003, and I currently still live here. I was recently married in the summer and now have a bonus kiddo. And we have two dogs, three rats and multiple fish tanks and a lot of fun. (laughs) <laughs> well, we won't ask about the rats. Okay. That I promise you. <laughs> They're definitely my bonus kids. <laughs> fun, fun stuff. That's another story. Yeah, that's another podcast. That's it. That's well, it. let's talk about Zoom Rails. So tell us what the company Zoom Rails does. Sure. So essentially, Zoom Rails has created a seamless, off the shelf product that combines both open banking capabilities with payments to create an easier and more efficient way for businesses to manage the full life cycle of financial interactions. So we like to say open banking meets instant payments. 
And our objective is just really to simplify all the complexities that exist inside of the payments world. We see payments as being more than just a single transaction or multiple single transactions that exist separately. We see payments as the whole life cycle from onboarding to settlement and management beyond that. Okay. And who are your target customers? We can work with any business that really has recurring payments, but mostly we work with a lot of mortgage, insurance, crypto, lending, investment, those types of clients. Okay. Okay, great. Well, tell us about your professional journey to your role there as the COO and Chief Diversity Officer. Sure. I started working at a company called Minix many years ago that was outsourced by Apple. So I had the opportunity very early in my career to work for, you know, a legend like Apple. And um, I was troubleshooting legacy computers on the queue. I was on the front line and I got to work on the beta iPod queue. So obviously dating myself, it was over 20 years ago. Actually, you know, I still remember how impressed I was with the efficiency of how knowledge was managed at Apple. And it was a great introduction on how to share information to ensure reliable and repeatable processes. I then moved to Montreal and started working as a data entry agent in payments. And I didn't think I'd stay long in Quebec. So I decided to give it my all and learn as much as I could and go back home with new knowledge and experiences. I decided to sit in as many seats as I could, like customer service, sales support, technical support, I remember building files for trans 330s and hypercoms. So again, dating myself. And then there was an opportunity to grow into a people leadership role and I took it. So from there, it was managing all of operations, including the contact center, account management, loyalty retention teams, and much more. I was there for 13 years and I was contacted by a recruiter to take on a new role of VP of operations. And where I was, it didn't appear that there was an opportunity at that time for me to take a next step. So I took the position and uh, was the VP of operations managing mostly inside of Canada, which quickly turned into managing Canada and the UK. And it was acquiring business in the UK. So I had a ton of learning experience there. Inside the same organization, I was offered to lead a marketing technology division And although it was very daunting because I didn't have a lot of experience with affiliate marketing and it was coupled very much with our payment side, I just took the leap and I'm so glad that I did. I was able to manage a full division and had departments like development, finance, sales, marketing, account management, onboarding, learning and development, all of it reporting into me. And it was, yeah, just a huge learning experience responsible for the P&L and the budget. And I had a fantastic team. We partnered together. We had growth year over year. And we did that while focusing on significant improvements to our platform. So that would be a role that definitely allowed me to level up. And then to bring us to today, the opportunity in 2022, I came to join ZoomRails as the diversity officer and operating officer. And due to the exciting technology offering and uniqueness of the business, I just couldn't turn down the role. Being in the space for over 20 years, I've seen a lot of payment softwares. And I'm very lucky to say and excited to say this is by far the best software I've ever worked with. 
Wow. Well, I think it's a good segue into the rest of the conversation, which is going to be about diversity and inclusion, as you've mentioned that as one of your one of your many roles and hats that you wear there. So let's talk about that. Can you talk about the diversity and inclusion at your company today? Like, how is it part of the culture? Can you talk about the culture and specifically the diversity and inclusion part? Yeah, we are a company of under 50 people, and we are all working remote from many different locations. So ZoomRails launched, really launched in 2020, right before the pandemic. So most of the team that joined during that time had no opportunity to meet face-to-face. So it's very interesting roots that Zoom has grown from. And I would say our culture is growing and evolving. When you're going from a small group of employees where everyone's wearing the same hat and everyone's doing a little bit of everything to starting to really define each position's tasks, roles, and responsibilities, there's an adjustment period and we're all going through that together. One of the first things I noticed coming into Zoom Rails, and keeping in mind I'm about 15 months with the business, was how much respect our colleagues have for each other. And that's seen through the way they speak to each other, their offers to always help one another out, their dedication to collaboration and willingness to be open to change. That's a big one because times throughout my career, I've been brought in as a problem solver or a fixer, very detail-oriented. I like to get into the you know micro details. And often when being brought in to try to fix problems, I'm told we've always done it this way. There's no need to change. And that just wasn't my experience at all with the team at ZoomRails. They're dedicated to growing the business and finding ways for us to evolve. And we're all aligned with that. So officially, I would say our type of culture would be adhocracy, where we focus on innovation and we're not afraid to take risks. We're constantly finding new ways to develop and improve and grow and continue to connect internally and with our customers. Okay. And as you mentioned, it's a relatively young company founded in 2019, maybe started interacting with businesses in 2020. So like you said, you've got the whole pandemic part of it, all of that, and it's a young company. How do you build you know, equity and inclusion and diversity into the DNA of a company so that as you grow and expand, it's just part of the DNA? I think you know, having a lot of these conversations, larger companies it's an advantage and a disadvantage, right? If they don't have DNA, then how do they build it? But then they have the resources to build it because they can have, you know, focus groups and they can bring in, you know, experts and things like that. But smaller companies don't have that advantage. So how do you build that into the DNA of the company? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's definitely an important focus for us at ZoomRails. Obviously, having someone like myself focused on diversity along with the operations and then our C-suite is engaged. And basically, we're currently focused on finalizing, you know, talking about what our path is, currently focused on finalizing our mission and vision statements to ensure our whole organization is aligned on what we do today and why and where we want to get to in the future. So having us all know what our North Star is, is really important. And it just comes back to the importance of communication and making sure we're communicating with each other, especially, you know, with these new times where most people don't have a footprint or many people are working remotely, which is the case for us. Defining the core values of the company is really important to us as well. So once everyone knows what our mission and our vision is, We need to talk about our values to make sure we're all living by those values while achieving 
we all need to understand what is important to the business when it comes to our targets and objectives to achieve them, but we also need to live within our principles to get there. It's about caring as much for the customer journey as we do for the employee journey and making sure that that is balanced. And then really from here, we're working on building out learning and development associated with our mission and our vision and our core values and what they mean to us and what their importance is. And so I think when you build it into the DNA, it's starting early. We said we're under 50 employees, it's starting early. It's making sure that there's alignment, that we're all having the same conversation and you know, building out learning and development for when we onboard staff so they understand as well. You know, looking at implementing awareness training for unconscious bias. We have a learning platform. So continuing to offer out that learning platform and highlighting different types of leadership training for all our people managers. Again, just make sure everyone is on the same page and feels comfortable speaking to our workplace culture and understand how important it is to us to make sure that we're invested in the well-being of our staff. Okay. And you've worked at some larger, more mature companies. How do you think it's different there at at Zoom Rails? I think you brought it up a little bit when you're talking about the difference between the big and the small companies. I've been invested and an advocate for workplace culture throughout my career. And I think the main difference is that when the business is smaller, we do get to introduce it early into our DNA and really make it part of who Zoom Rails is. And then when you have companies that have more employees or larger footprints, you may not know every person or every leader. And based on what the business priorities are, it can be harder for adoption. I mean, really, at the end of the day, none of that should matter. Big and small companies need to invest in the well-being of their employees. And diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives do that. The thing that I see sometimes is that it becomes a tick box exercise rather than a true standard to run the business by. We're all very aware of the major layoffs in the fintech space over the last several months. But what I see and what I hear is good, skilled employees are very much still in demand and they get to pick where they want to spend their days. And to them, getting that choice, it's really carte blanche. And culture matters. Employees care about how they will be treated. And the sooner that businesses get on board with this mindset, the more they'll see that their teams are invested, that they're loyal, that they have happy employees, which equal happy customers, and that they have lower employee attrition. Okay. And you know, your role there, you're in the C-suite, so to speak. I mean, even though it's a small company, but how important do you think it is to have someone at the top leading these type of initiatives in this building of the culture? I mean, is it as important to have people in the bottom up or the top down, or it's a combination? What's your thought there? Yeah, great question. I think it's extremely important. Businesses invest in what they believe in. They invest what they believe in is important. So asking just staff to volunteer for these types of initiatives, in my opinion, means that the company doesn't really care about them. It might be a hot take, but that's my thought on it. So volunteers have their own tasks, their own day jobs, and they can only do so much, especially if they're not decision makers in the business or have any sort of budget. 
business owners and business leaders need to understand the ROI when it comes to employee well-being. Employees, again, they want to come to work every day and be respected and appreciated for who they are and not worry about any kind of negative interaction by just being themselves. They want to be able to be free to share ideas and opinions and criticisms without being degraded or made to feel emotional. And leaders need to care about all of their people as individuals and make sure that they're represented. So I think that it is definitely a combination of it all. You want to have people who are engaged at every level of the organization or else your initiatives, they won't work. Businesses need decision makers advocating for their work culture and their staff. And there are literally hundreds of reports and studies that show the ROI on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one that stands out to me was a food catering and facility management company in Canada that had their VP of diversity track their DEI programs and practice initiatives. And they found with the formula that they built that for every dollar they invested into DEI, they saw a $19 ROI. And that really is the bottom line. So everyone should want their employees to be happy. Everyone should want to create a good welcoming environment. But if we're talking about a bottom line as well, these types of initiatives and programs they'd return an ROI. And so it's just, we need advocates and people need to get on board. You know, it's here, it's important. Let's talk about it. Let's advocate for it. Let's make sure that we're doing what we need to, to keep people's well-beings at front of mind. Do you find it easier or harder given you have a, a pretty much remote team? I would say... Because of my experience in the past and building initiatives face-to-face, it's what I knew. So I don't know if it was easier in the sense of simplicity, but it was what I knew. So I've had to challenge myself to find ways to build culture or to look at building culture when we have so many people that are remote and in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think it's necessarily easier. I think it's different. And I think you have to be more creative. We have online events. We have a shout out channel where we're recognizing our team members. We're trying to build that rapport and that communication. But there's definitely parts of all being together that make it easier, I think, to build culture. But I still think it's possible in a remote environment. It's interesting because, you know, Zoom is only, you know, 50 people, not only, but is 50 people. And there are other much larger companies that are all remote. And so it's not like the remote aspect of what we do is going to go away. So I think it's interesting the way you put it is it's you're able to do it, but it's challenging and it's just for some people different. But different doesn't mean hard or wrong. It just means different. Yeah. And it goes back again to the investment. So those larger companies can put budget in place. And I understand the state of the economy, but these types of budgets don't have to be excessive and they can be put in place to promote that type of culture. And before it was, you know, maybe it was everyone had cake for someone's birthday or you had breakfast once a month. So those funds can be redirected into other ways to engaging and keeping, you know, a positive workplace culture. Yeah, totally agree. Well, 
this is kind of a who or what question because for some people it's a who and for some people it's a certain incident or something in their life experience. But who or what motivated you to make diversity and inclusion a part of your career and bring it to the companies that you've worked at? It definitely was my own experiences growing up in fintech over the past 20 years. I often would find myself being the only woman in the room and would feel left out. And although comments that were made to me, especially during that time, may have been in jest or or trying to be lighthearted, but being teased that I was lucky to be at the big boys meeting or, oh, look, someone let a skirt in wasn't a very good experience for me. I you know, would find sometimes that in those types of environments that there would be you know, extracurricular activities that would be a all gender sports team and um, I wasn't included. So there was those types of things that affected how I felt about myself. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. You know, I think when you're told that you're lucky to be somewhere versus that you deserve to be there, you kind of become conditioned to that and believe it. And I didn't see a lot of women in executive positions and I didn't want to stay stagnant in my career and I wanted to be an executive. I knew pretty early in after um, coming into the fintech space and falling in love with it that I wanted to grow. I didn't get my positions due to my network or my connections or I didn't roll out of a prestigious school and end up in a corner office. I just really worked my butt off to get to where I am. So I know what it's like to be on the front line. I know what it's like to get yelled at by frustrated clients. And I know what it's like to have no part of making the decisions related to why they're frustrated. And that was why I wanted to change it. And that's why I wanted to grow because I felt like I could really affect change because I understood what it was like and saw things from a different view. So I had great mentors along the way and advocates for me throughout my career and their guidance and their support was definitely coupled with my hard work to help me be considered for those roles and get promoted. And I think like most of us, I also had some horrible leaders uh, that showed me what not to do, which was great. So every experience I've ever had, I'm grateful for, but that doesn't need to be others' experiences now that I've had them. And I believe in the, if you know better, do better. So I label myself as a proud and positive disruptor. And I challenge those around me to be one too. So you've mentioned, you know, you've been in the payments or fintech industry for a while and you've seen a lot and done a lot. Obviously, you've worked at big companies, small companies. How do you think we're doing as an industry on the topic of diversity and inclusion and what more needs to be done? I'm happy that there's a conversation. I think that's a big step in the right direction. What I think needs to be done is invest. And I know I've brought it up a couple of times, but I really think it's important. It needs to be part of the budget. There needs to be funds put into programs. You need to build out policies. Uh, You need to show that you care about the staff. And I think sometimes people get so caught up in what may happen downstream, they don't know where to start. Just survey your people, just survey your workforce and ask them what they want. If you are a you know, C-level or senior people leader, I can most likely say with confidence that you don't know all the challenge your frontline staff are facing every day 
when it comes to their experiences. It's just impossible to know how each and every single person feels inside a large organization. So ask them, survey them. Feedback is a gift. Ask them directly what's working and what's not working, what they'd like to see more of. And then we as the fintech and the payment space, we just have to do something about it. You need to action the feedback, share the results, make an action plan, be accountable and communicate regularly on how it's going, have ask me any things or town halls to discuss specifically about these initiatives and bring your workforce along for the journey. So I think as you start to survey and you determine what the major goals are, where the pain points are, keep surveying and keep asking, are you getting it right? It's okay to be honest with your staff and you don't have to do these all in one day. These types of culture shifts take time. So what more needs to be done really is for companies just to start, stop delaying and saying it's not the right time or think that you need 5,000 employees to implement diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging practices, now is the time. And I understand that budgets and economics, you know, we're in a place right now, but surveying costs nothing and changing and building policies are usually minimal. It's a matter of when I say invest, it doesn't have to be hundreds and thousands of dollars. It has to be our time. Well, you mentioned one of the things as an industry that we could do is have the conversation, you know, things like this conversation. Do you feel like we're doing more of that now than we were, say, five years ago? Absolutely. I think we are. My optimistic side is we're having the conversation because we care. The pessimistic side is we're having the conversation because we feel, again, like it's a tick box exercise. So I just encourage everybody to educate yourself about the value of implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion inside the business and how important it is. And yeah, I understand it's daunting. And sometimes I think businesses don't want to know. They don't want to know what the problem is. They're, you know, kind of have the blinders on. And I can promise you that's going to cause you more harm than good. So we definitely are having more of the conversation. And I'm hopeful that These types of podcasts and opportunities are going to encourage those listening to take further action. The next question was about advice that you would give leaders. And I I think you've answered some of that in survey your people, take action. Is there anything else that you would say? I mean, one thought comes to mind is I think people may struggle with, okay, we got the feedback. What do we do? How do we implement this? And it it seems daunting or, you know, do you have any advice? Should they hire a a leader or a consultant or what do you think, you know, you get the feedback and then where do you go from there? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that there are a lot of opportunities to implement these types of initiatives. So yeah, you can hire a consultant There's lots of people who reach out and are just looking for just a little bit of an action plan. Like, What should our action plan look like? I also think that when you get the information, I think because people are, like you said, it's daunting. They don't know what to do when they have the information. I think once you have the information, you know what to do. If the organization or your staff is saying, hey, we don't feel like there's enough We have a do as I say, not as I do culture, which means that you have leaders that are not leading by example. You have leaders that aren't engaged in the values. Well, that's an easy fix. You talk to your leadership team. You all align on what the values are. 
Maybe you produce some learning and development training for every single leader inside the organization. And then you start to really implement those practices. The other thing I can say is that a lot of businesses have objectives. You know, you have your yearly objectives and that everybody has goals that they're to achieve. And that can be based off monetary reward or just responsibilities for your role, performance reviews. Add these types of initiatives to those performance reviews. Add those as part of the objectives. You'd be surprised what gets done when you make it part of, again, to use your term, the DNA of the business. So it's not just about growing the revenue. It's not just about trying to become more efficient operationally. It's also about leading by example, doing the unconscious bias trainings, being invested and advocating mentorship. I think just being an advocate and a voice is so important. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, from what I've learned is it's not a destination, right? It's a journey. Exactly. And it will continue, right? And I feel like the younger companies who've grown with this in their DNA, what they do today is certainly not what they started with five or 10 years ago. Yeah, you're right. And it's about normalizing difficult conversations. So just try to have super open communication with the staff, see how they're feeling, I think the other thing I'll share is that sometimes it's not part of your company's core values and that doesn't mean it can't be part of yours. So have a conversation with the handful of people that are on your team or encourage your direct reports to talk to their direct reports. So you can be an advocate and you can speak with your leaders and you can bring this up at town halls, but you also can be part of the change yourself and you can make it part of your core values. I do a lot of mentorship and coaching and all of that good stuff. And one of the conversations I have so often with individuals now is they don't know if their values align with businesses. And it's one of the reasons why they leave. So again, just to talk about the importance of your company culture, if you aren't looking at these types of initiatives, if you don't talk through and talk about your core values, you may lose really talented staff because of it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Well, Tara, we've covered a lot of ground on this topic already. Is there anything else you'd like to add or discuss with the audience before we wrap it up? You know, I'll just say I love these types of conversations. So I'm always happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn to discuss topics like these. So feel free to add me. And just a huge thank you to you for giving us a platform to have this type of conversation and the opportunity to talk about why it's so important and why it matters. So thank you, Greg. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate all your insights and thoughts on this important topic. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 